Hello, everyone. Junior church, five years old through fourth grade, you are dismissed. I've been asked several times this morning, um, what's wrong with me? We don't have a long enough day to, to explain all that. I will tell you this, I am not scowling at anybody. I'm not mad or angry. I've just had a headache since Thursday. Uh, so it's, you know, it's very bright up here. But as my dad would say, if I had a head like that, it ached too. So um, I know I won't get any sympathy. I just wanted to let you know that's why I haven't been my jovial self. According to Lifeway Christian Resources, do you know what the mis- most misused verse in the Bible is? It's in Matthew 7. Do not judge, lest ye be judged. How many of you have ever heard that said to you? How many of you have said it to someone else? Okay. Um, usually it's said when a person is trying to defend their actions, or at least justify. But is that really what Jesus is saying here? This is what we're going to look at today as we finish up the, the short sermon series that we call Go Tell It on the Mountain. Um, went up on that mountain, Jesus gave several lessons, and today we're going to look at what he meant by judging. We're looking, um, so let's say you're talking to a friend or family member about their excessive drinking, and they say, hey, you can't judge me. Is that what this verse is about? Or you approach a fellow Christian about how he's flirting with another man's wife. He says, don't you judge me. Or the elders go up to a woman who's committed adultery and says, hey, only God can judge me, you can't. Is that what this verse really means? This verse in Matthew 7 has been thrown in the faces of Christians a lot. And unfortunately, most Christians just accept the statement and move on. And worse than that, many Christians have resorted to using this statement as a form of justification. God is the supreme judge of all. Paul says it in 2 Corinthians 5.10, For we must all stand before Christ to be judged. We will each receive whatever we deserve for the good or the evil we have done in this earthly body. God alone will make a final judgment on whether a person is saved or lost, hell-bound or going to have a heavenly home. That is not for any of us to make a call on. But that doesn't mean we can't make judgment calls concerning behavior, attitude, or teachings. Later in the same sermon up on the mountain, Jesus um, talks about, after he said, judge not, look at what he says in verse 6, do not give what is holy to dogs, and do not throw your pearls before pigs, or they'll trample them under your feet and turn and tear you to pieces. That's a judgment call. Don't give something good to something that's not good. Verse 15, watch out for what kind of prophets? False. That means you have to have a judgment call. They will come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. Verse 20, yes, just as you can identify a tree by its fruit, you can identify or judge people by their actions. All these verses here, after he says judge not, Talk about making judgments call. You can judge a false prophet by their fruit, their actions. 
Do not give what is holy to dogs or cast pearls to pigs. That means you have to justify or judge these things. Not justify. You have to judge whether they're good to go to them or if they're worthy to go to them. I realize this sermon is not going to be well received by the culture and maybe even not by some people in the room. But uh, especially because people say you shouldn't impose any definition of right or wrong onto somebody else. Well, that's a judgment call that you just made then. If you say that it is wrong for a man to leave his wife for another woman, that is a judgment call. And there are going to be some people say, well, that's not your judge to call. Who are you to tell him who he can or cannot fall in love with? If you say protesters are wrong to break into someone's house or business, vandalize and loot from them, there are going to be people who says, is it not wrong uh, it is not wrong if you're trying to bring in light to the injustice of America. But again, those are all judgments. In today's culture, it teaches that there are no absolutes. That everything is relative. They like to say, everything is relative. There are no absolutes, except that whole statement is an absolute statement. And I think it's very interesting that those who often believe that change their thinking very quickly when someone does to them what they consider wrong. There's a Christian philosopher named J.P. Moreland. He goes to a lot of colleges, campuses, and, and he speaks. Several years ago, he went to the University of Vermont. He was invited there to speak by the Christian men's group um, at one of the dorms. He talked about the moral teachings of Jesus in the Christian faith, but one young man in that uh, listening, in that audience, was constantly disrupting him with sarcastic comments and questions. Finally, this young man said, this might be right for you, but neither you nor Jesus can force your beliefs of right or wrong on my life. As Dr. Moreland was leaving, he walked past that student and took his cell phone out of his hand and started leaving, walking out the door. What do you think that young college student did? He chased after him. He says, you can't take my phone. And Moreland turned and says, you're not going to force on me the belief of stealing your phone is wrong. Hmm. We have to look at the teachings of Jesus here and see what he means about this, not what we are comfortable believing about it. We always have to look at the context and then the content. So we know he's up there preaching and teaching. Let's see, what does the verse say? 7-1, Matthew 7-1. Do not judge others and you will not be judged. If that was the whole sermon that was the whole lesson, the rest of my sermon's worthless. Jesus did say, don't judge others. However, this isn't a blanket command that eliminates all kind of judgment. If Jesus meant that, he would be um, contradicting other scriptures. He would even be contradicting his own words. Remember, when we look at scripture, we have to examine all of it, not just one phrase. This is a good time for this. Um, I know I've said this a few times, but there's some people who haven't heard it, okay? So if you have heard this, just let the punchline hit the new people, okay? Did you know women go to heaven a half hour after men? It's in the Bible. 
Revelation 8.1. And behold, there's silence in heaven for about half an hour. Uh, see, the new people and the others are like, yeah, I still don't like that joke. But is that what Jesus is saying? Is that what that verse means? If we take just that little bit, I can make it say whatever I want. But we have to take everything that Jesus says here, not just the do not judge. What does he mean by that? Jesus is preaching this long sermon, and throughout this sermon, Jesus addresses the hypocrisy of Pharisees. They were being self-righteous. They were very quick to judge others whom they felt did not live up to their own standards. The Pharisees had a tendency to just judge without hearing or knowing all the facts. They became fault finders, nitpickers of the law, especially when it came to Jesus and his followers. On one occasion, after again being judged by the Pharisees for violating their interpretation of the law of Moses, when Jesus healed on the Sabbath, Jesus turned and said to them in John 7, 24, Do not judge by appearances, but judge with right judgment. If Jesus says, do not judge, but then he also says, judge rightly, we cannot think these are just blanket things that you can never judge anything. If that's true, you can never say anything about what clothes I try to wear. If I chose to wear skinny jeans, you better pass a judgment on me. Okay? Because that's gross. We are called to make judgments, not about salvation, but judgments about certain things. Jesus, at this point, he didn't say, don't you ever judge anybody. He said, you judge rightly, properly. He didn't say just judge by appearances, that word um, where it says, do not judge by appearances, but judge rightly. That doesn't mean just on their surface. It meant um, look below the surface. So don't just judge by what their hairstyle looks like or the, the frumpy of their clothes, but who they truly are. Improper judgments are superficial. And the Pharisees at this time were really good at making quick superficial judgments. And Jesus says, don't judge like that. Look what the Pharisees did in chapter 6, verse 7 in Luke. And the scribes and the Pharisees watched him to see whether he would heal on the Sabbath so that they might find a reason to accuse him. They are looking for a reason to judge. They want to bring the gavel down. And in, verse, or in Matthew 7, Jesus says, do not judge. But what he's saying here is, do not judge based on your own ideas. That's a big problem for some of us. Sadly, like Pharisees, there are those within our churches who go around nitpicking just, to, just looking for something they perceive is wrong in brothers and sisters. We don't have to look very far before we find something wrong in each other. All we have to do is look and elevate ourselves, and we'll find so many things wrong with everybody else. We have all the faults, but man, I'd like to point them out in others so that I can look better. 
Instead of going around and pointing out everyone's weaknesses and faults, which is superficially judging them, Scripture says we need to lift each other up to help encourage and promote a lifestyle of Christ-likeness. Stephen Covey recalls riding in New York subway one Sunday morning. It was a quiet time where many were just simply reading the, the paper, resting or thinking quietly on the subway. And then the quiet was shattered when a man and his children entered the subway car that Covey was sitting in. This man, this father, sat down. He appeared impervious and oblivious to what his children were doing, who were running around, being all noisy and disturbing people. And after a few moments, Covey, he could take it no longer. In his mind, he's like, this has got to stop. Sir, your children are really disturbing a lot of people. I wonder if you couldn't control them a little bit more. You hear the judgment in that? Be a better father. You're failing. Well, this snapped the man back to consciousness of the situation. And Covey says, the father turned to him and said, oh, you're right. I I guess I should do something about it. We just came from the hospital an hour ago and their mother just died and I don't know what to think or do. I guess they don't know how to handle it either. See, that self-righteous idea that Covey had just dissipated. Covey uh, goes on to say that he saw and experienced the situation from an entirely different perspective after that. And then he sought to help that man and his children. We can't judge based on our own ideas. We just can't. You'll notice um, we have kids in the service. There's a reason why. Their parents love them and they love Jesus. I've been to churches that say kids need to be seen and not heard. Tell me how you do that, because I'd like to have learned that when my kids were little. Kids are always seen. When they're not heard, something's wrong, right? But too many times I've sitting there looking. I've seen people look at uh, parents who have those little pesky, noisy kids, and they're like, instead of thinking like Covey did and go, man, that's so awesome they're here. How can I help that mom or dad? What can I do to help? I'm so grateful they're here. See, don't judge based on our own ideas. Jesus goes on in this lesson, verse 2, Matthew 7, verse 2. For you will be treated as you treat others. The standard you use in judging is the standard by which you will be judged. Jesus is not saying you can never judge, but that we are to judge properly using proper measurements. And we will, we're going to get to how to judge properly in just a bit. But Jesus is addressing the harshness of the Pharisees. They were judging based on their own standards. In Matthew 15, verse 9, Jesus says their worship is a farce. They teach man-made ideas as a command from God. The Pharisees are proclaiming their judgments as divine when they're man-made. Which means we do not judge based, here's a hard one, on traditions. Traditions. This whole month is going to be full of traditions, isn't it? 
You got to do the things you've always done. In my life growing up, it was a sin if you didn't play the Oak Ridge Boys Christmas album while decorating. Okay? It is the holiday music. And if you disagree, there's the door, as John just said, yeah. That, that, that was a judgment. That's a tradition. So when I got married, guess what we did? We went and bought the CD. I grew up on the cassette, but I figured it was okay to move to a CD. And we had to play it. And you know what my wife did? Why are we doing this? You have to. Traditions. We had to have a real tree. You had to go out and pick it. One of those lopsided, crooked, and it's not full on all the sides. And it starts dying all over your carpet. And it smells good for three days, and then all of a sudden it's like, what's that funk? And you got to put Sprite and aspirin and all this stuff in the water because apparently the tree's got a hangover from being cut down. <laughs> Traditions! Right? We have to have colored lights. You can't have those racist lights that are white only. Traditions. Uh, just so you know, we still have the CD. I don't know if we ever play it. We have a fake tree, and all the lights are white. Tradition. And I like it better, that's true. <laughs> but so often we judge based on traditions. The Pharisees added over 600 more rules to what God has given. They made these extra man-made rules just as holy and sometimes even better because if you followed them, well, then it was easy to obey God. And Jesus challenged and condemned Extra non-godly rules. Through the year, I've heard similar man-made rules through the years that some Christians hold just as high or even higher than Scripture. I've heard somebody actually say it's a sin to have an instrument up on stage in a church. Only man can make worship to God. I've heard it's a sin to use any translation except the King James. I've been told it's wrong to clap or raise your hands during worship. I've been told it's a sin to play cards in the church building. I've been told it's a sin that women can lead prayer in the presence of a man ever. All of those traditions are not Scripture. All of those things I just said are not a sin their tradition. But before we pass any judgment, make, make sure we're using God's measurement, not our own. It's okay to judge, but don't use your standard, your tradition. Use God's measurement. Verse 3 through 5 of Matthew 7. And why worry about a speck in your friend's eye when you have a log in your own? How can you think of saying to your friend, here, let me get rid of that speck in your eye when you can't see past the log in your own eye? Hypocrite. 
First get rid of the log in your own eye. Then you'll see well enough to deal with the speck in your friend's eye. This section is often misunderstood. I read lots of commentaries, and there was all these different things. Some people think Jesus is saying, you cannot point out any sin, which just so you know, that's a judgment. If you point out a sin, that's a judge. You're saying that's a sin, okay? And they're saying you cannot do that if you're dealing with a sin yourself. If that are the case, no one could ever say anything. Basically, they're saying you've got to be perfect before you can pass a judgment. Well, there's only one who's perfect, and that's Jesus. That's right. We're all struggling with sin. Let's think of it this way. You hear your teenager get upset. I want you to really try and think. Some of you, it might be a stretch. You hear your teenager get upset and use foul language. And they say, you can't say anything. You're dealing with sin too. That's what they get, right? You're not going to sit there and say, oh, right, I, I've I got sin. I can't pass a judgment. That's, that's not what that means. Let's say um, you, you can't call the police if somebody breaks into your, your neighbor breaks into your house and starts stealing your stuff. You can't call the police because that's pointing out their sin. And you've got sin of your, in yourself. You know, you've got bitterness or resentment. So, oh darn, I just can't say a word. That's not what that means. Then there are those who believe that Jesus is saying you cannot point out a lesser sin if you're dealing with a greater sin. So the lesser, which is this tiny little speck, versus the greater, which is this huge log. Well, who determines what's a speck and what's is a log? It's not about lesser or greater. Jesus, is Jesus saying you have to, hmm, let, let's look at your sin for a moment and weigh its options and, and all the problems with it. And then we're going to weigh mine. And then, oh, mine's greater. I, I better not say anything. Can you imagine trying to live like that with everybody? I think we'd all become hermits so we wouldn't have to deal with that conversation. If one of you came up to me and said, Donnie, this is hard, but I need to talk to you. I saw you take a candy bar at Walmart checkout and you didn't pay for it. Would I say, okay, first, before you cast your judgment, tell me your sin so we can see which one's bigger. See how ridiculous that is? It's not about lesser and greater sins. And just so you know, if you ever see me take a candy bar, call me out. I need that. Make that judgment call. So what is Jesus really saying here? Do not judge with self-righteous hypocrisy. Don't judge with self-righteous hypocrisy. That's the next one. That's cute. Do not judge others' sin while purposely ignoring your own. So I did this sermon, um, talked about the speck in the log one time, and I put a bicycle helmet on my head that had a two-by-four attached to it. And it stuck out like six, eight feet from my head. And I said, would anybody let me adjust their collar? You know, so I'm coming at you, and there's this two-by-four coming at you. And while I wanted the kids to get it, the real thing here is don't sit there and act all self-righteous while judging somebody. 
Don't judge others' sin while purposely ignoring your own. Jesus told a a parable of the Pharisee and a tax collector. Look at this, Luke 18. Then Jesus told the story to some who had great, so someone who had great confidence in their own righteousness and scorned everyone else. There's the stage. Self-righteous, okay? Two men went to the temple to pray. One was a Pharisee, and the other was a despised tax collector. See the exclamation? You can't just say despised tax despised tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed this prayer. Now, we got to say this like I'm a televangelist, okay? I thank you, God, that I am not like other people, cheaters, sinners, adulterers. I'm certainly better, certainly not like that tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give you a tenth of my income. Tax collector stood at a distance, dared not even lift his eyes to heaven as he prayed. Instead, he beat his chest in sorrow, saying, Oh God, be merciful to me, for I'm a sinner. Jesus goes on in verse 14 I tell you, this sinner, not the Pharisee, returned home justified before God, for those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. That Pharisee was very self-righteous and hypocritical. And Jesus wants us to not acknowledge, not just acknowledge our sins, but strive to overcome our sins so that we can help others in that struggle. If I come to you and say, you need to quit drinking while I'm drunk, that's a self-righteous, hypocritical judgment. I cannot do that. I need to address the sin in my life. And then allow God to work in me so that I can come beside you in the judgment and help you move into a righteous living. Not based on me or you, but on God. So how do we judge properly? Those are bad ways to judge. Well, go back to verse 5 where he says, hypocrite. First, get rid of the log in your own eye, then you'll see well enough to deal with the speck in your own. What this is saying is before you render any kind of judgment to someone else, you should first examine yourself. That's the point of verse 5. Examine who you are. Examine your life. Recognize your own sin and do what we can to overcome them. Is that the next slide? There, okay. This does not mean we have to be perfect before confronting and helping others with sin. That's not what this is saying. Examine yourself. Look what Paul wrote in 2 Timothy 2.24. A servant of the Lord must not quarrel, but must be kind to everyone, be able to teach and be patient with difficult people. Paul's saying, do not quarrel, right? He just said it. A servant of the Lord must not quarrel. So Paul, if he's going to be any kind of Christian leader, cannot quarrel. Now go to the next verse in Acts 15, verse 38. But Paul disagreed strongly, quarreled. Since John Mark had deserted them in Pamphylia and had um, not continued with them in their work, their disagreement, their quarrel, was so sharp they separated. Barnabas took John Mark with him and sailed for Cyprus. 
Paul had such an argument, a quarrel with Barnabas that they split. Their friendship stopped for a time. What a hypocrite. To say a servant of the Lord must not quarrel and then to know that in his past, guess what he did? He quarreled. Or maybe, do you think Paul's self-examination of how he handled that situation with Barnabas may have given him some insight on not only to discourage quarreling among fellow Christians, but to help those who are in the midst of that. See, we need to examine ourselves. Secondly, when you judge, do it privately. This can be very hard, but Jesus is very blunt about this. Matthew 18, verse 15. If another believer sins against you, go privately and point, point out the offense. That's a judge, judgment call. If the other person listens and confesses it, you have won that person back. If another believer sins against you, go privately. Now, Jesus says you can confront and you should which means proclaim the judgment, but do it privately. No one else needs to know about it. It's between you and that person, and that's where it should say, don't say anything, don't post it on social media, and don't do the passive-aggressive. Well, you know, life would be better if certain people wouldn't... Da, 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 da. Do it privately. If that does not work, Scripture does say, if that person does not repent, then Jesus says to bring a few others with you still in private. And there's a process you start that way. The reason we do it privately is because we are to redeem them. I got this out of a commentary, but I love this statement. Listen, the reason we go to them privately is to redeem the person, not demean them. That's why you do the judgment. You want to redeem that friendship, redeem that relationship, not demean a person. So before you judge, examine yourself. When you do judge, do it privately. And when you judge, do it gently. When we know that a brother or sister in Christ is caught up in some sin, any sin... We need to go to that person. Scripture says we need to go and make every effort to restore them back to Jesus. Galatians 6.1. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, that means sin, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watching yourself lest you too be tempted. You know what this is saying? You are your brother's keeper. How many of you? Well, that's not my job. Everyone in this room has a responsibility to everyone else in this room. If we are sinning, all of us should be there to help one another. To call out, stop, that's a sin. And then to walk with them gently and lovingly to bring them back into restoration with Christ and with fellow believers. We have bought into the lie of don't judge, Leslie, be judged, and I'm not my brother's keeper. That's not my responsibility. That's not my job. Well, it says, brothers, if anyone is caught in transgression, does it say sin against you in this one? No, it just says any, any transgression. So we need to watch out this. 
when restoring them, do it in gentleness. Too many times we can go up to somebody um, with a holier-than-thou attitude. You ever seen somebody do that? Hey, it's okay. Babies are cute. We like them. Too many times I've seen people go up with a holier-than-thou attitude and they're calling out to say, you know, I was expecting something greater, something far better than what you've given us lately. Get off your horse. That's not gently. That's not lovingly. We tear them apart for their willingness to join into sin. What that person really needs is a concerned brother or sister to patiently, gently come beside them, to even sit with them and help lift them up out of their sin. If you cannot confront somebody who is caught up in their sin with gentleness, then please keep your mouth shut. Okay? If you can't do it gently, as Scripture tells you to, don't. Maybe go share with an elder or, or somebody else who can do it the right way. We need to choose to be like Jesus in this. The woman was caught in adultery. They brought her before, and you know she was caught in the act because she didn't even have time to get clothes on. They throw her on the road in front of her, and did he sit there and say, sinner? It says he knelt down and wrote in the sand. I want to know what he wrote. But he knelt down, and, and what I keep seeing here is she's thrown on the ground, and he knelt down. He got closer to her. And he stayed there until everybody else finally left. And then he says, I'm not going to condemn you either. Just stop sinning. Gently. James 5, verses 19 and 20 says, My dear brothers and sisters, if someone among you wanders away from the truth and is brought back, you can be sure that whoever brings that sinner back from wandering will save that person from death and bring about the forgiveness of many sins. Whose job is it, according to this, to help bring somebody who's lost? It's yours. That's not what you pay the preacher for. That's all of our jobs here. The reason there are so many scriptures about confronting others caught up in sin is because a person's soul is in jeopardy of eternal judgment of eternal separation. Our souls are in jeopardy if we hold on to that sin. We are going to hell. And it is so critical that somebody makes a judgment and says, Stop! It's time to turn back and let me help you. Love them enough that we will do everything possible that we can to help them get to heaven. Which means when we judge, we have to do it lovingly. We are commanded to love one another, which means making a judgment call when you see someone in sin. Finish the phrase. He who spares the rod. It's not what Scripture says. He who spares the rod hates his child. Love means discipline. Discipline is judgment. Why did my mom wash my mouth out with soap when I lied? 
Was it because my mouth was really dirty? No. But she made a judgment call and told me I was wrong, and she scrubbed my tongue till it almost bled with soap. That's offensive. And I can't have that soap in my house anymore because it triggers me. <laughs> what a lie. <laughs> Why did she do it? Because she loved me. And she wanted to make sure that I was walking in a better path. That's what judging is supposed to do. To say, get off that sinful path and step onto this right path, the Jesus path. We have to be careful in judging others improperly because to do so, we may be judging ourselves. In his little book, Illustrations of the Bible, uh, Bible Truth, H.A. Uh, Ironside pointed out the folly of judging others. He related an incident in the life of a man called Bishop Potter. Now, Bishop Potter, he was sailing for Europe on one of the great transatlantic ocean liners. When he went on board, he found that another passenger was sharing the cabin with him. Now, what's his job? He's a bishop, right? So he's a church leader. After going and seeing the accommodations in the rooms, he came up to the, the desk and inquired if he could leave his gold watch and other valuables in the ship's safe. He explained that ordinarily, he never availed himself of that privilege, but... After going to the cabin and meeting the man who was going to share with, judging from his appearance, he felt it might be wise to put his valuables in the safe, judging by his appearance. He might be an untrustworthy person. The person at the desk accepted the responsibility and remarked, it's all right, Bishop, I'll be very glad to take care of them for you. The other man's already come up here after he met you. Hmm. We need to be careful about how we judge. Don't toss around the judgment stuff unless you fully studied its meaning of the scripture. Don't jump the fence when somebody says, hey, don't judge me. They pass that jump. That is not a trump card. That means you win the game. Most of the time, you aren't judging them. You're just calling for them to repent. Part of your job is, of a Christian is to lovingly, gently Judge a sin of somebody. Proclaim that judgment. You must remember to do it gently, lovingly. Be cautious of how it's done. But be important. It has to be done. Christian love is quite different from the ideas that the world has about love. Christian love means warning people who are in sin. Isn't it loving of a parent to discipline a child when they misbehave? That is real love because you are training them. Sin has consequences. And so we give you the discipline to prove it so that you can choose a better path. Love includes boundaries. And part of Christian love is to proclaim judgment to those who are in sin. We need to relearn this, church, and then live this out there. The correct response to a judgment is to be broken and disturbed by your own sin. Then one laments, grieves, feels awful about it. As scripture then expresses a contrite spirit, a willing, willingness to change. The person should turn to repent, 
to change from their actions and walk in a new way and be thankful for that sinful action or that judgment on the sinful action. The incorrect response when somebody says, hey, that's wrong, don't do that, the incorrect response is to become defensive, angry, and lash out and say, don't judge me. Because guess what? We are our brother's keepers. Let me say this real quick. You cannot judge if somebody's going to hell or heaven. That is God's judgment. You can say, if you stay on that path, that path leads to damnation. If you keep stealing, killing, lying, whatever, that will take you to hell. I'm not proclaiming you're going to hell. I'm saying that path God has already judged as hell bound. Please get off it. Do you see the difference? Because the world wants to tell you there's no difference in that, but there is. And the self-righteous Christian says, hey, that's the train you want on? Go. But the loving Christ-like Christian says, let me stop that train and help you get off. Because it's a judgment for you to get off now so you don't face eternal judgment of damnation. We are fully free and, in fact, commanded as believers to discern, to evaluate everything, and expose evil in the power of the Holy Spirit. We are commanded to evaluate. If I teach something wrong, you better be up here telling me. That's a judgment call. If somebody is doing something wrong, if if Dustin's out there hitting kids with his guitar because he thinks it's funny. Some kids, maybe. But... We better call them out on it, shouldn't we? We need to call out judgments of what God says is holy or sinful. That's when the world will start seeing a difference in the church. Why is it that we blend into society so well? Maybe it's because we've adopted the sinful lifestyle and said, hey, don't judge me. Instead of standing on the principles of Christ and saying, God will judge me. But I need you to hold me accountable. I need you to point it out so that I can stay focused on Jesus. And not on me. We must never build ourselves up and point out all the wrongs of everybody else just so we can look good. We must never stand back and judge others, mock them, laugh at them, and consider them damned. We must never think ourselves better than a non-believer or a Christian who's struggling in sin. We are here for one reason. In the family of Christ, Jesus saved us, transformed us, gave us the ability to begin living a different life from the one we chose to be in. And because of that, we must certainly discern, evaluate, and judge when necessary. We must expose evil. We must encourage good stewardship, encourage holy living, encourage repentance in all areas of life. We must stand against sin first in our own life and then next to others who are struggling with it in theirs. We do this not in our name, but in the power of the Holy Spirit. It is time to render God's judgment on sins.
you have a voice for that. You have a calling for that. And you have a responsibility for that. Are you willing to stand up on it? It's not your judgment. It's God's judgment. But we have to look at one another. To hold one another up. And to even pull someone up. If we need to. So I'm telling you right now, you better do that to me. Because I'm going to do it to you. Not because I'm better, but because God called us to. It's not easy. But it's right. Are you ready to be living, as Scripture says? We're going to come to a time, we're going to stand in just a moment. But there are some in this room who've got to repent of certain sins. You keep living in it, you keep habitually going through it, and you keep turning a blind eye, and you need to stop. You need to stop. Because if you don't, you will continue on that path, choosing to be blind, choosing to go to hell. Would you stop today? We want to help you. I was talking to someone else in the church. They're dealing with stuff. Dustin's the really nice, compassionate one of the two of us. I'm the blunt, kind of mean one. So come to me. I'll kick you in the tush. But then he'll show you more of that compassion and love of God. Let us come beside you. Not to push you down, but to pull you up. And you do it to us. Please. So if you need to make a decision today, we're going to stand, we're going to pray. And if you need to talk with us, you can come forward or you can meet us in the back, but please won't you come. Let's stand and let's pray now. God, I thank you for your son. And God, I thank you that even though according to your just, your pure, your perfect law, I should go to hell that through Christ you have given me the judgment of not guilty. Help me, God, to be just as gracious and forgiving to everyone else. Remind me that it is based on your precepts, your word, your laws that we base our judgments on of what is good, perfect, and pleasing according to your will. And God, I ask, I ask that you raise up a voice within this church to cry out about the true injustice, the true ungodliness that are around us so that we can start shining that light and not hiding it anymore. That we can show this light so that this dark world can see your son again. The first God, raise it up in this church. And I thank you. I thank you that you have given us that spirit of your son. And in his name we pray. Amen.